Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Fame and success and awards should never be the aim. The aim should be, are you enjoying the making of the thing? Because the making of the thing, whatever level you're at, if it's a short film you're making with two friends or it's a massive massive Apple TV show, it's still the same. You're still creatively making a thing and if that makes you happy, then you'll be all set. Testing one, two, three. Welcome, actors, pop culture enthusiasts, Ted Lasso fans, to another episode of In the Envelope. Today's guest is Brett Goldstein, another primetime Emmy nominee in 2021 for his work as Roy Kent on the hit Apple TV Plus comedy, Ted Lasso. At this point, it seems like the world is divided into people who have seen and love Ted Lasso and those who are about to see and love Ted Lasso. And the latter camp uh, is uh, usually convinced that a sports comedy about an American football coach who goes across the pond to to coach the other kind of football would not be their favorite show ever. And then after a couple episodes are converted to the former camp of loving Ted Lasso. I am firmly in that camp. I love this show so much. And Brett was the perfect person to talk to about it because he's in the writer's room as well as playing Roy. And in fact, his story of getting hired for both is super fascinating. There is some really great practical tips about breaking through in the biz. And just the idea of overnight success is not never true <laughs> for artists in this industry. It's all about hustling. Brett has been doing it for years in, in the UK. He's a British Independent Film Award winner. He has this amazing podcast called Films to be Buried With that I totally recommend for those film nerds out there. And he is the creator and star of the movie Super Bob and creator of the recent AMC uh, limited series Soulmates, which is also amazing. He just is kind of the perfect backstage interview. And we're going to get right to it. Uh, Ted Lasso is nominated for the most Emmy nominations for a scripted series of any this year and the most of any freshman comedy. Originally, it was based on a series of um, NBC Sports commercials where Jason Sudeikis played this character. Again, none of this equals Emmy-dominating success on paper, but it's just a remarkable show for its earnestness and its commitment to positivity and as Brett talks about in this interview, the that positivity is key to the show's success and to the writer's room. Writers, actors, I hope you're listening. Let's take a quick break and then get to this interview with Brett Goldstein. Applications are now available for UCLA's professional program in acting for the camera. 
gain knowledge from successful industry professionals and receive a world-class acting education in three quarters consisting of scene study, acting for the camera, and career development workshops, an intimate classroom environment with a maximum of 16 students per workshop, and a certificate of completion from the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Students are encouraged to apply early, space is limited, admission is competitive. Just Google UCLA Professional Programs and you'll find us. Creator and comedian Brett Goldstein got his start in fringe theater shows, stand-up stages, collaborating with Catherine Tate, and creating shorts which became the film Super Bob, the AMC series Soulmates, and more. His work writing on and starring as footballer Roy Kent on Apple TV Plus's breakout hit Ted Lasso earned him a Writers Guild Award, Ensemble SAG Award nomination, and now Primetime Emmy nod for Supporting Actor. Look out, here's Brett Goldstein. Thank you so much, Brett, for um, for being here. Where are you exactly? I'm in a hotel in New York. We've oh. come out here to do press for Ted yes. Lasso season two, and uh, they have wasted an awful lot of money on us. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem nice, yes. Yeah, which I will not complain about. No, and I've now consumed so much of season two of Ted Lasso way before it's come out. I'm just I'm. I'm obsessed. Congratulations on all the success of this show. Oh, thank you, man. How much have you seen of season two? Um, up to episode eight. Oh, wow. You've seen <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And I got to ask you all about it. In fact, I, I think that it, there, there, it begs the question about season two, because, I mean, talk to me about the success of this show. Did you know this was going to be as big a hit as it was? I didn't know anyone would watch it. Right. Is, is the honest truth. That is not me being like cheeky, like as in... Right. You know, we've all talked about it. Gina and I have talked about it. I've been around for a while. I've done loads of stuff that right. no one's watched. <laughs> I've done stuff that I thought was really good that no one's watched. Right. So, you know, I had this I had this moment with Jason when we finished season one and like it felt special while we were making it. It mm. felt like this is something special. But the reality is you don't know if anyone will connect with it or see it or whatever. So at, on the last day, it was very emotional on the last day. And when Jason and I said goodbye to each other, he was like, something happened here, didn't it? And I was like, yeah, there's something fucking happened. And, you know, if no one sees it, we were here. Like, this happened. It was special for us. And that was it. And then there was like a year before it came out. So emotionally, I was very zen about it. It was like, yeah, that thing, that beautiful thing we did. <laughs> And I thought no one would watch it. And so the fact that quite a few people seem to have taken to it and all the things that have been building and building is extraordinary. It really is mad. Yeah. And it, it then, of course, does it then put pressure on season two? I mean, the other thing about filming TV is, as you say, a lot of time passes between seasons. So how yeah. do you then prepare? I know that the story of season two was structured from the beginning, basically. Yeah. And we we actually had started writing season two before the show came out and that was helpful actually because we didn't want to be anyway but we actually weren't influenced by the reaction because it hadn't happened yet mm -hmm. so 
and and I do think that's important. I think it's quite it's very easy to get caught up in the discussions about a show that people are having, but you have to tell the story you were going to tell. Mm-hmm. You sort of have to, as amazing as it is, all these all these wonderful things that people say and write. You also have to you have to engage in it and then forget it because you have to not be influenced by what people want or what people think they want. Because also, the I think I learned this from David Lynch, not that I've met him, but as in, <laughs> as in the way he did Twin Peaks The Return, it's like, you have to do what you were going to do because what people like is they didn't know what it was in the first place. Yeah. So if you just repeat the same thing, even though people probably think that's what they want, that isn't quite what they want. They want you to surprise them. So there's totally. that. Yeah, totally. It goes back to that. We've heard it's not, this podcast is all about crafted career advice. And it's been said time and time again, especially for actors, do not mm. try to guess what people want, like in yeah. the audition room. And that's that that same is true for writing season two of a hit TV show is if you're yeah. just writing to please everyone, you probably won't please yeah. anyone. You can never. The, the reality is you can never please anyone, everyone. And you you have to trust that what got them to like it was what you guys were doing so carry on that but don't it's hard it is hard and also I guess yeah it's easy to get caught up in it all but it's also surreal that side of it it's so surreal I'm not at all used to it at at no point am I like yeah this is normal that people keep talking about the show that we met you know it's fucking mad and the Emmys and all that it's all insane I don't really believe it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I sort of really don't. I'm like, people go like, oh, you must be so excited. I sort of like, yeah, I mean, it's not real, is it? It's not actually <laughs> happened. We're all joking, aren't we? But yeah, and actually that stuff is 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 dangerous if you let it in because what got you here was focusing on the thing. And in terms mm. of, you know, without being like pretentious or whatever, when you're acting, you're act, you're in it. So mm. if you're in it, but you're thinking, oh, is this the thing that people like this move? Or, you know, then you're fucked. Yeah. So you have to really, as lovely as all that stuff is, you also have to block it out because it's no good for you. <laughs> totally. And like you said, engage with it, but then let it go to, yeah. do the, to do the work. Take us back to the very beginning. I got to ask you, of course, everything you just said about getting into character, I'm going to get into it. But what is the original dream? What was the childhood dream? What were the uh, early inspirations? The, the original, original dream was to be a stuntman. Uh, no way. And that still remains the dream. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I think I just always, I always wanted to be an actor, but I always, to be completely honest, I, I'm doing all the things that I wanted to do. I, I wanted to do stand-up. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a director. I loved film. I just always wanted to make stuff. And I'm grateful. I always think about, you think, what were the kind of turning points and stuff? Hmm. And I owe my dad something which is, I think I was six, I think I was like six years old, and I wrote a story, like a creative writing story for school about a shipwreck, and my dad read it, and he was he said, this is good, and he said to me, and my dad, you know, my family are not in the entertainment industry at all, know nothing of it, but my dad said to me, you know, that's a job, being a writer, you can, you could do that as a job, and it stuck, I remember it, and I remember thinking, oh, great, because I that sounds fun. Like I didn't know that was an option and it's really, it's such a little moment, but definitely must've affected me because I remember it now, you know, and also for the record, that story got a very bad mark at school. (laughs) So my my dad has terrible taste, but here we are. 
encouraging yeah. even if there even if it, <laughs> there wasn't yeah. actually talent there maybe they'll just tell people they're good even if they're not and it'll <laughs> work out yeah yeah so was that your question yeah so i always wanted to i just like making stuff i like all the sides of it so whatever that involves whether it's writing acting stand up as long as i'm being creative and and sort of doing the thing i'm happy and how did you like get the start like it seems like catherine tate would of course be another major turning point like how did you get your start yeah. in the biz well my start in the, i mean it's so funny isn't it because it's like this thing of uh, overnight success and you go, I've been doing this for 20 years, but yeah, yeah sure, yeah. I, it happened overnight. But I did <laughs> stuff for probably 10 years from like, I don't know the actual ages of, you know, when I was at school, in hindsight, I was probably like that fucking kid in Rushmore. Like I was putting on plays that I wrote <laughs> and directed and acted, it, you know, all that. And then and for years I was acting I was having, and I was taking plays to the Edinburgh Festival, you know, the Edinburgh Festival, mm -hmm. writing and performing in plays. And then I think the turning point was when I started doing stand-up because I'd always secretly wanted to do stand-up. always loved stand-up, but I'd been scared of it and just thought it's something other people do. Sure. And then one year I was at the Edinburgh Festival and I was kind of hanging out with stand-ups more. I realized I was gravitating much more to them than I was to mm. the people doing the plays. And cool. the more I hung out with them, I was like, oh, these feel like my people. Like I've rarely felt as as comfortable with a certain type of person was like, oh yeah, yeah. And I also watched a lot more comedy at the fringe and thought this is a skill like anything. This isn't something you can just do. Mm. You're going to have to do it. And then you're going to have to work very, very hard and do it a lot to get good at it. And so I did one gig and was like, if sort of in my head, it was like, you have to do this because you'll be dead one day and do oh, the wow. one. And if, if it's terrible, you can just tell your grandkids, yeah, I did stand up once. But the first gig was so incredible and I think just because of the sheer adrenaline of it that I was hooked and I was like I want that but I also knew I now need to gig every single night for 10 years to get good at this right. and then the rest of my gigs were awful <laughs> but I had that oh, first no. to hold on to you know where it's like yes and then so anyway sorry so I was doing that and then I think the turning point you know you make stuff you do stuff so for years and years I was doing things that nobody saw mm -hmm. and then eventually I made this short film with my friend John Drever called Super Bob, which was originally a short. And I yeah. believe that someone showed it to Ricky Gervais, I believe. And then I was cast in Derek, which was kind of my first big mm -hmm. TV break, I suppose. And then things were slightly easier from that. And then when we made the film Super Bob, hmm. we cast Catherine Tate in it, who was our dream part hmm. for the feature film. And me and Catherine, as we call it, like creatively bonded <laughs> immediately and we we're like oh man we made each other laugh so much and then she said do you want to help me write this show and i was like no because it's too big your character it was her oh. like iconic character <laughs> called nan and i was like i, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to like that's your big thing nan mm. i said i don't want to kill nan and then she texted me back and she said let's kill nan and i was like oh, all right let's do it <laughs> uh, so there yeah, all these things go and go and then Suddenly you're doing Ted Lasso. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, sounds, totally. I made it sound easy, but spread it out over 20 years. Right. Well, and it sounds like also you, I mean, I guess that turning point of theater to stand up was technically switching roles. But like, do you think of it as not boxing yourself into one particular role? You are a multi-hyphenate, can we say, as they say? Man, I'd love it. I, I hate <laughs> being boxed in. I hate it. I hate sure. it in life. I hate it in 
career, everything. It's a, it's 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 very interesting, and you must not maybe it's not interesting, but I think to say at the beginning of a sentence, <laughs> guarantee this is interesting. <laughs> I can't guarantee you might find this boring, uh, <laughs> but it surprises me how often people in interviews are say say like you're an actor, you're a writer, you're a stand up. Which one uh, do you really want to do, or which, which one? Is it? Would, and you sort of go like all of them. They're all. Why do I have to choose? Why are you making me? What's going on here? Totally. I think each one of them makes the other one better. Like the acting and the writing can work in tandem. Like casting Catherine Tate and then writing for Catherine Tate is a great example. Yeah. Or there's yeah. been a lot of turning your shorts into other projects. Yeah. Um, like for life became soulmates. Correct. You've done your and that work. what is the gestation period, right? That was a long period of time long, until it became a limited time. series. Yeah. That was seven years between the short and the show. Wow. Yeah. Super Bob was five years between the short and the feature. Wow. It takes ages. <laughs> this That's why I love stand up. You could just do it. I could do it tonight and it's done. Uh, yeah. Well, and of yeah. course that begs the question, like what is what is the perseverance? How do you persevere? Is it just pure love of what you do yeah it is i mean i think uh, arguably it says more about how much i dread not doing stuff just being oh, okay. just being alive but uh <laughs> the doing the stuff i think that's the key if you you know if you love what you're doing then you're fine and i think you have to maybe this ties into what we we're talking about in the beginning in that i have been doing this for many 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 years the Ted Lasso thing is such a huge success that it's incredible. And I've not experienced that level of whatever you want to call it. Um, but the truth is you you have to go, that should never be the aim. The kind of fame and success and awards should never be the aim. Yeah. The aim should be, are you enjoying the making of the thing? Because the making of the thing whatever level you're at, if it's a short film you're making with two friends or it's a massive Apple TV show, it's still the same. You're still creatively making a thing. And if that makes you happy, then you'll be all set. And that's it. That is the, I'm making it sound very simple, but, <laughs> but it's no, kind of. Uh, you're making it sound very inspirational. And I think listeners good. of this podcast in particular would, would appreciate that. And um, the other, maybe sort of flip side of that is, of course, you've experienced rejection. I mean, this uh, is a big question, but we always ask, like, what is your relationship with? I don't want to call it failure, but do we call it failure? <laughs> I mean, I wonder if, if doing, do, again, doing stand-up is a good, um, mm. philosophically a good thing to do because the magic of stand-up is it can go, You could I can tell the same jokes in two nights and one night the audience is carrying me out on their shoulders and the next night they hate me. Right. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, it's fucking horrible when a stand-up gig is bad. It's horrible. There's probably no worse feeling in the world. But oh. equally you go, but I got another gig tomorrow. Mm. And at some level, you kind of, you also learn from watching other people have bad gigs is that as horrific oh. as it is for you, you're not thinking about them. They're, they're terrible gig for the rest of the week. They might be, but mm. you as audience are like, oh, it was a thing and you've moved on with your life. And that's important to remember too, is that you, you I'm burning and I want to peel my skin off with shame. But actually, <laughs> no one has to think about it. There was another stand-up that came on next and then they thought about that. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then in terms of rejection, fuck, I mean, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but maybe that's in another thing of having many things to do is like, mm. so 
if I'm not acting, I'm writing it and, and then I can do stand-up. It's like, I'm never not busy. Even if I'm not making any money, I'm never not busy. Yeah. And I remember David Finch is doing an interview once years ago and he said, I think it was like a film Q&A, quite a serious one, you know. And he said something about like, you should have six projects on the go at all times. Mm. And I remember thinking that's unusual to hear that because usually people say something like, you know, pick your one dream and chase it until it kills you sort of thing. Mm. But actually what he's saying is realistically in this business, have six dreams because mm. it's so hard. You'd be lucky if one of them come off. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is also not only true and sensible, it's kind of good for your brain because there is a lot of failure or rejection, whatever you want to call it things not, not happening the more you have going on like i say for me it's just i like doing the stuff so as long as i've got stuff going on it even if the stuff is going nowhere then mm-hmm. i've had a good day absolutely staring at the wall <laughs> anything to just keep from staring at the wall exactly yeah. and, and hearing the voices in my head right <laughs> you're running from the <laughs> that's running such a typical voice. comedian thing to say i'm running from the voices in my head yes absolutely fucking tearing it away <laughs> <laughs> I'm like roadrunner, like fucking speeded. Do yeah. not stop. No. And that, that I mean, of course, that then we always ask about auditions. I assume there's been lots of auditions specifically. Like, do you yeah. have a philosophy? Is there an audition prep process? <laughs> i tell you what's interesting. Okay. Fucking, I must stop saying that at the beginning of sentences. What <laughs> I've realized is uh, from being on the other side, actually, has been an interesting thing. From, you know, sure. making soulmates where people are we're casting that, making Super Bob, uh, even Ted Lasso. Here's his story. Jeremy Swift, who plays Higgins in Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. he got the part of Higgins before he read any lines because we watched his casting tape and you know that awkward bit and it's my worst bit of any self-tape is where you have to go, I'm Brett Goldstein, I'm represented by whatever. Yeah. He said, hello, I'm Jeremy Swift. And he made a funny face and he went, ooh. <laughs> And he looked so great and he was really funny in how he said his name that uh, we were all like, that's the guy. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, I don't know what that tells you. It, it sort of says, well, what it tells you is do your thing. So I do know from auditioning and from seeing people audition hmm. that it is a lottery. It really is. And hmm. sometimes it's to do with timing. And I know from doing pilot season, the times I've got a pilot, Sometimes I think it's purely because they're so bored and then I've come in with an English accent. They've gone, oh, that that seems new and fresh and exciting. Let's cast him. But if I'd come in at the beginning of the day, they'd have been like, no, we don't want an English guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm. it, it's their exhaust. I've, they've been worn down by the time I get there. <laughs> so go, it'll do. So there's an element of that. It's timing. It's when they see your tape. But then I do also think, do your version of it because don't do what again it's like the writing of it don't do what you think they want do your version and even if your version is wild do it because you're showing them this is how i would do this part and it Mm. may not be what they want and that's the psychologically you have to go i'm just offering them a a a flavor and it might not be the flavor Mm. they want they might want chocolate and i'm offering vanilla or whatever it is Mm -hmm. but offer them your flavor i mean this metaphor is getting stretched (laughs) Sure. Offer, offer them a fucking flavour from the, <laughs> the spice board. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> do your thing and then, and be prepared and learn, learn, 
main main advice learn your fucking lines and have done your homework i really it's a simple thing that some people don't do it's like learn your lines because it's gonna make such a difference and make sure you've read the script and i know everyone's busy but i can tell you as a writer when someone comes in the room and said sorry i haven't really had time to read the script you're like well you ain't got a part no because also it suggests that you don't work hard and and totally it's given me a vibe like you're 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 not here for this. Mm -hmm. You've got many things going on and that's fine. But I want to work with people that that do their homework and are here to to play and do this properly. Yeah. And that's very simple, but you'd be amazed how many people haven't learned their lines or can I, sorry, I've been so busy. It's like, well, then this doesn't matter to you. No, it's kind Uh, of a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so do your homework, (laughs) learn your lines and do your thing. And then when you're finished, forget about it. And that, and that okay. is a skill in itself. I genuinely walk out of an audition and forget about it. Sure. Because it's a skill. There's a hundred, two hundred thousands of people going in. You might be brilliant, but there might be someone else that's got red hair that looks better for it. Right. You're, you have zero control on it. Totally. So forget it. And don't forget it, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Because then that, that's the voices in your head, right? Not forgetting it is, is giving in to the voices in your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Think you can write two feature screenplays or a TV spec and two original TV pilots in less than nine months? If you are accepted into the UCLA professional program in screenwriting or writing for television, you will. Both programs begin this fall. Learn from renowned UCLA instructors and you'll receive a world-class education in less than a year, an intimate environment with a maximum of 10 students per instructor, guidance from writing your script through navigating the industry, and a certificate of completion from the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Just Google UCLA Professional Programs. You'll find us. This is a podcast for actors, is it? Mostly, yeah. I think more and more these days it's for the multi-hyphenates, but yeah. Well, here's another thing that I'll tell you uh, that might be useful that I realized. In the early days, in that sort of first 10 years when no one saw me do anything and no one was interested, sure. I used to get auditions over and over again to play terrorists. That was all I was getting like offered was parts of terrorists. Oh. And I used to think, why am I getting terrorists? I don't want to play a terrorist. Why do I keep getting terrorist parts? And then I realized, oh, it's because they're looking at my headshot. <laughs> and in my headshot, perhaps they think he looks like a terrorist. And... <laughs> But but I think we all, as actors, we all sort of think that everyone knows, oh, but he's so interesting and there's so many sides to him and he's this and he's that. And it's like, they don't fucking know me. They don't know you. And you're waiting for this magical phone call where they go, I've got this part that you'd be perfect for, that we've been thinking about you because we know you. They don't know you at all. They, they see your headshot. Right. That's it. So part of what I did was like, write your own part. Write the mm. part you want to play. Show people what you can do. Because mm. no one's, everyone's busy. No one's going to be like searching around like, oh, I wonder what that person's like. I'd love to find out. It's like, they're not going to do that. You have to do, totally. you have to do that. The thing you want to do, write it and make it. I mean, if it's a sketch you film on your phone and you put it online, great. Like you don't mm. need money. You need a phone. <laughs> you need enough for a phone. <laughs> and then the rest, you can make stuff. And you be you see stuff on the internet where it's, someone against the wall doing something amazing and suddenly Mm. like show people what it is you think this magical part you're waiting for write it yeah you lazy shit
<laughs> if that needs to be the way you talk to yourself, great. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Get up right here, you shit. Those are, those are the voices in my head. Pretty good. Yeah. Is one of the voices Roy? I got to ask <laughs> about Roy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. Um, yeah, do you, of course you've told the story before, but you were hired as a writer on Ted Lasso before being hired as Roy. What, how did that, how was, what was that process? Um, so I was writing on the show. So I'd done a pilot, I'd acted as a pilot, acted in a pilot for Bill Lawrence mm-hmm. two years before and we'd stayed in touch and he knew I wrote and, uh, he called me up out of the blue. This was the magical phone call after 20 years. He called me up and said, I think you should write on this show. I think it would be good for you. You're English, you know football, this is mm. your kind of thing. And then I had to meet with Jason. So I had a FaceTime with Jason for an hour and a half at 1.30 in the morning in the UK. And I was like, God, <laughs> I really, this was hard to walk away from and go, forget it. Just yeah. uh, But luckily they decided to have me. And so then I was in the writer's room and I was there for the, for the writing of season one. And I started to think how much I got Roy. I was just like, fucking it. You know, in hindsight, it's it, it's insane. It was like a calling, like genuinely, like I've never felt that strongly about a part in my mm. life. Where it's like, I, I need to, I need to, I need to play Roy, <laughs> and uh, and but I also knew no one's thinking of me for Roy. No one's thinking of me. I, I've uh. usually played sort of nice, soft boys in sure. stuff, and that was kind of my typecast for a bit. Was just playing the kind of nice boyfriend, and. Uh, so, and I also didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable because I'm friends with these people and, and we've worked well together and I know how awkward it would be if, if I'm, if, you know, if, the, in the, if someone suddenly says to you, oh, can I have a part in this thing? It's like, really? Fuck, no, that's awkward because right. you're in a position. So when yeah. I left the writer's room, when I finished, I made a video of five scenes of me as Roy and I sent an email and I said, look, if this makes you uncomfortable or this video is rubbish, please pretend you never got it and I will okay. never ask We'll never ask, and we never need to talk about this again. However, I think I could play Roy. Here's what I've I've made a video for you. Have a look. Let me know what you think. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> or we'll never speak again. <laughs> and then and then at two in the morning that that night I got an email going. This is fucking really something. And then I figured, oh, they can't be bothered to keep looking. So uh, <laughs> so that was really amazing. Really, really, really amazing. And. And having said to you, yeah, walk away from an audition, don't, don't think about it. Right. I was definitely thinking when I handed it. <laughs> you would have been devastated if, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that the, your connection to Roy, I think that really shows, like, it, of course, this is a role that, and it's not just because it's different from, from other roles you've played. Like, what was, it about, what was it about him on the page that you were like, I can take this off of the page? It's strange, like, A, it was the footballing side of it is that I, I had grown up with family friend, friends who were professional footballers. So I'd seen, seen the sadness that is, you know, you do this thing that is incredible. And then at some point, whether you like it or not, you can't do it anymore. And that's mm. fucking tragic. And I, and I understood the tragedy of Roy in that area. Um, but it was also the rage. I mean, I <laughs> believe it or not, I, I think I, I am that angry. I, I, okay. You know, I, I keep it. I keep it in for how to get by in life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I'm not angry. I, I totally can tap into that anger very very easily. And and also yeah. And the 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 story with Keely, I I, I just felt yeah the the tragedy of aging and the 
rage were the two main things I was like, I fucking get this. Yeah. And the, you know, he's, he's, he's a brilliant, he's a fascinating character in that he, he's not stupid, but he's, in, he's completely emotionally inarticulate. Yeah. And he's not, he's got a good football brain, but he's not been particularly educated. He doesn't, he doesn't know that what he's like, that he's kind of smart. He's kind of smart. He just doesn't, uh-huh. doesn't have the vocabulary for it or the understanding. It's like his guts are good. His instincts are good. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have the words for expressing it always. And, and I think that's why his voice is like that because uh-huh. he's holding everything in because he's, he's this like cauldron of <laughs> feelings. But if he let it out, he'd just be crying all the time. So everything has to stay down here. I've got to fucking keep it in. Yeah. Or I'll explode. You know what I mean? I think that's why. Wow. Like that. Is it? That's so interesting. That idea that you're angry. And of course, I was going to ask you about the voice. I mean, is playing Roy a release? Is it cathartic because you get to be in touch with that anger? Or is it a buttoning up? A uh, bit of both. A bit of both. Yeah. It's a good question. Because the buttoning up is is um, really plays into it. And, and And I tell you what, one thing that is very, very nice if I'm being completely honest about the success of the show, if we can call it that, and the fact that people have said so many nice things about it, is at least knowing that huge risk that you took in performance paid off. Because you don't know when you're doing a TV show, it's not like doing a play or stand-up. You don't have feedback until it's out a year later. And, you know, I'm doing quite, I took, took some big swings with Roy. And to kind of at least see that from that most people seem to have connected with it means that for season two, I was a lot more, I think all of us, to be honest, across the board, I think all of the actors were much more comfortable, confident uh, in their skin as these characters for season two, because we'd done it and it had worked, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was very cool to be able to come back and do more of it. But yeah, it is a real dichotomy. Is that the word? Sure. (laughs) Yes, it's a release to be able to express all that anger. But Mm. equally, it is very buttoned up playing Roy. And I also have to hold a lot in all day, every day. And so and and but but I think the frustration of that plays into the character. It's all how Roy feels. So it works for it. Yeah. Yeah, I love hearing, I just love actors describing their characters or character arcs. Because going off of that, and as a TV story, are you thinking about the end result? You're also in the writer's room, so you might know more where he's going as a character. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good question. I mean, look, the, the, the actors who are not writers on the show, they don't know what the future is. Right. And we never tell them. And yeah, and that's part of your kind of focus when you're doing it is, I have to not think about it. Uh, look, I've learned a lot about acting from doing this show. I've learned a lot from everyone. It's an amazing cast. I've learned so much from Juno and I've learned so much from Jason. And it's it's all stuff you'd have heard before, but it's to kind of really experience it and, and live it. It is all about being present. And I hate to sound like a... It is sort of that simple, but it is like you have to be focused in on the moment you are doing because it's of no use to you what the future is as this character. Mm-hmm. And all that matters is the connection you have with the person you are in the scene with. Yes, And that's where the magic is, I think. And so with someone like Juno, who is entirely 
present and a light and mm. you know i just have to look in her eyes and and be there with her and then we'll be we'll be fine and yeah. uh again it's so it's shit isn't it how much all the stuff you can think about the real secret is forget everything don't think about anything sure. and just, be, just be zen yeah it's about where to direct your focus and where to like abandon focus i guess <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah let yeah. go of stuff yeah let go and you're doing many many takes so you have to kind of keep doing that you have to keep forgetting you yeah. just did a take forget it you're going to do it again you know it's a, it's so, when you think about it it's actually fucking insane <laughs> sure yeah i mean is there a process of getting in and out of character are you remaining in character between takes no i i uh no i think we're quite a fun chatty cast sure i can get into roy very very easily i find him like that luckily because I am basically uh, <laughs> very close. It's always, it's always on the on the surface, Roy. I can I can do that. I, I don't need to go for a walk in a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and then I'm Roy. Right, like, like the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So talk to me about the writers' room. I love asking. We love asking about the writer, the writing process. And because you've worked on multiple writers' rooms, like I want to ask. What is the what are the ideal qualities? What what makes a good writer's room? Are there like characteristics of every writer's room that you worked at that are the same, or are they all completely different? So the the, the Ted Lasso writers' room was my first big American writers' room, mm-hmm. where there's like twelve people in the room, or I think twelve thirteen. Before that, I'd done you know the stuff I did with Catherine is just me and Catherine. Oh, okay. Stuff I did with Soulmates was just me and Will. So I've usually worked in sort of twos or threes. Hmm. But the writers' room experience with my first one and I'm so grateful it was that one but I do think it's like casting is what I learned from it it is if you want to make a writer's room it's a, it's like casting you're having a different everyone has a different quality that they are bringing to the table and if anyone wants advice for how to be in a writer's room I'd say my one golden rule this is true for all life don't be negative because mm. it's such a delicate thing you're around this table all day, sometimes 10 hours, 12, however many hours, kind of all just staring at each other. It's so delicate that if one of you was moody or, or, or mean or like, that's not funny or anything like that, you could kill it. You could kill mm. it because it's quite vulnerable as well. Everyone's offering up jokes, offering up ideas, offering up life stories, sharing stuff. You have to feel safe with each other. And if mm. one of you is a, a negative vibe yeah you know snarky it's like I, i'm sure there are loads of rooms like that i don't think i'd cope in a room like that right be like, thank you i'm out like you you kind of have to yes and everything mm-hmm. and even if you think an idea is shit if you yes and it it might turn into something brilliant yeah. like as soon as you say that's shit no no thank you the, the door's closed that's going nowhere there's right. no so there's that i'd say be be yes and on everything but it's also have a you know there are people in the room sometimes I you know and I think there are people who so there's different types there's people who offer really good jokes they're there because they're really good jokes people are really Mm -hmm. good at structure there's people who are really good at story people really good at character all-rounders and sometimes I I sometimes think that that maybe in the room you have someone just because they're fucking great vibes they might not even be that good a writer but you want them in the room because they're keeping (laughs) everyone happy you know 
It is like a sports team. I guess it's like cliche to make that connection with Ted Lasso, but like. No, I've never thought of it. So you, you go for it. <laughs> like an acting ensemble is like a writer's room is like a football team. Yeah. And you have to keep, you have to like keep the ball moving is what it really yeah, is. Like keep the energy going. Exactly. Exactly. How do you then switch hats? Speaking of character development in the writer's room, are there moments, I guess, with season two where you were like, as the authority on Roy, I can speak to what he would or wouldn't do? Like, It's tricky because I'm incredibly protective of Roy, as you yeah. can imagine, in the same way that I think everyone is protective of their characters. But the truth is we all love all the characters. We really do. Like, I love... I love Keely. I love Rebecca. I love these characters. So, you know, we all kind of think we're an authority on all of them. Mm. And, I, and I'm careful, maybe to my detriment, in the writer's room, I try to make sure I'm not talking about Roy more than I'm talking about any other character. Okay. Because I don't want to be accused of, oh, what, you're only writing Roy now? You know, I, I'm... Yeah. I, I may even in my head go, I think maybe you've talked about Roy too much today. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> I'll... Uh, I'll be careful not to do that because I don't think it's right or fair. And also, you know, Jason's had a plan. Hmm. There, so there are things set in set in place story-wise that are happening. I think what is fair and what is good, and I think what Jason's very good at is if ever I have a question, if there's ever a thing where I'm like, I'm not sure about this, we'll always have a proper discussion about it. He's never, like, hmm. close to a discussion. And usually, I'd say in 98% of the cases... We're always on the same page anyway, so it's great. Mm. And and sometimes it's just, yeah, uh, particularly, uh, look, and with dialogue, I can change it very easily to sound more like me. Um, oh, okay. But, yeah, I'm very protective of Roy, crazily so. Sure. Does that change on set? Like, um, <laughs> no, the script is the script, right? There's no improvising. Oh, on. sorry. I thought you meant does my protectiveness of Roy change on set? No. Oh. Uh, it does yeah the script does change there are alts right yeah there are alts and and we do like pre-improvising i think is what we call it oh where we'll on the day just go over the scene before we're filming and we might have a chat and go what about this joke what about that joke what about this what about that um because partly so we've talked it through and checked it out but i think it's also not to waste the crew's time you know they work very hard and if we're just going to sort of wing it and Hmm throwing in alts and stuff i mean when it's jason's coverage he will he will do more alts but i also think he does that to make us laugh because i think he enjoys ruining a scene <laughs> so oh. there'll be a bit of that but um yeah there's not I can't, i'm never sure we filmed for so long i don't know what the average is but hmm. you know it's also taking myself out of it it's really fucking good writers on this show so you don't want to fuck with that script too much you know right right well, on this idea of the of the positivity, which I think is true for any writer's room, but particularly for Ted, I know Jason has said that snark doesn't exist in the dialogue, that yeah. you guys have even tried injecting irony or lack of sincerity, and it doesn't work, which is yeah. so fascinating because that's every that's on every other TV show on the air. It's yeah. snark. Yeah. It's much easier. It's much easier to do that. Interesting. Do it's, it's a real challenge setting this world in this tone. It is harder. It's for, that, but that, again, is, is kind of what I was talking about with the writer's room. Like, yes, and mm-hmm. is a skill that you have to, is a muscle you have to train because saying mm-hmm. no or that shit is easier. Yeah. But the problem with it, if you think about it, 
It's like if you're with a group of people and someone says something, if you were so horrible and awful a human that you went, that's not funny, maybe that'll get you a laugh, but then that's the, you won't get another laugh. Like you've killed it because now everyone's scared to offer up more. Yeah. But, but in a desperate moment, you can, you can shoot someone and, mm. and that's funny, but then you're done. It's like short so term, yeah. It's a short term win, whereas yeah. the yes and mode, Sometimes it might be, fuck, yes, and that's not good. Yes, and that's not good. Yes, and yes, and we found something, you know. Mm. Uh, so, yes, writing snarky stuff is, you know, writing insult comedy and stuff is so easy. I mean, I, I don't yeah. mean that in a, in a pejorative way, like, as in, it's great. And look, I write, if you've ever seen Nan, the show I write with Kevin Tate, it is the exact opposite of Ted Lasso. Nan is basically a show in which an old woman is fucking horrible to people for half an hour. And it's very fun to write and it's very, very funny. And she says fucking outrageous shit and she's so rude and it's really, really, really funny and I don't, you know, I'm not judging that kind of comedy. I'm saying it's kind of more challenging to write something where there are people aren't allowed to do that. Yeah, to almost dare to have sincere characters saying sincere things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that is certainly, that is really one of the, one of the reasons the show works. And thank you for like taking us inside the writer's room. Cause um, it sounds fascinating. And is this all, a lot of this is conducted virtually too, just like from a logistical standpoint was season two virtual. Season two was completely virtual. I was in an attic in London and I was working like sort of 5 p.m. till midnight because they were all in L.A. Just in a little Zoom box. God, that was weird. Huh. And you might do that again for season three? What's the status of season three? I hope not. We're meant to be (laughs) in the room together, but we'll see if we're allowed to be. Sure. God, I hope so. Thank you so much, Brett. This is all wonderful. Uh, Can I ask you some silly uh, backstage-y questions that we ask everyone? Sure. Um, Do you know how did you get your SAG-AFTRA card? Yeah, I do. I got it very recently. I got it because I did a voiceover for Robot Chicken, which was a dream come true. Oh, oh amazing. And, and then I wasn't allowed to get paid unless I suddenly got a thing from SAG after saying, it's, you've done enough now. Uh-huh. You remember. And I was like, oh, cool. I've always wanted that. But it just... Oh, amazing. And all it took was Robot Chicken. <laughs> that is a hilarious, yeah, first, first SAG gig. Going back to auditions, we always ask about auditions. Do you have a worst audition horror story that yep. you would care to relive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It oh, was... you're ready to go. <laughs> I mean, I've got so many, but the the one where I was like, in bat, like, oh fucking hell, was um, it was for Kickass Two, and it was mm. to play Henchman Number Three, and <laughs> it was a scene in which there's like three henchmen mugging Hit Girl or something. And Henchman 3 is like, give me your money. And then she chops up, pulls out a sort of sword and chops off one of his arms and then chops off his other arms and then chops off his legs. And then he goes, you bitch or something like that. So I went into the room with the with an assistant who who I think was younger than me, who was like a sort of 12 year old with a, with a like <laughs> mini DV camera and she she I got the impression this is her first day. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, <laughs> she goes, um, right, should we read it? And I read it and she goes, Are you gonna are you gonna do something with your arms? And I said, Sorry, what do you mean? And she went, Well your your arms get chopped off. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, 
Yeah, but I mean, I figure that that will be like special effects and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but they want to see how you do it. And I was like, how I how I do it? Uh, well, I'd probably use special effects, but I said, what do you mean? Do you want me to like throw my arms behind my back? I could do it. And she said, yeah, but then your legs get chopped off as well. So you'd have to. And I was like, but what do you mean? Like, I really want to get like, this is not, whatever I do in this room is not what is going to be what it will look like in the film. Yeah. I can scream and stuff, but what do you mean? And I did it. So I did it again, like throwing my arms behind my back and then lying on the floor going, you bitch. And then she goes, I couldn't believe it. Like at this point, I think I'm re- very red. I'm very embarrassed. I just want to go. And she goes, I'm not, I don't, I don't really see it. Can you, can we do it again? And I was like, um, I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like I'm desperate not to do this anymore. And she goes, can we just do it one more time? Because I, I just feel like you're not really committing to it. And I was like, uh, fucking hell. I'm not committing to having my legs and arms chopped off in a, in a cupboard. So I did it one more time. And then she went, ah, I just don't know if this is working. And I was like, it's fine. I've really enjoyed being you. Thank you so much. Good luck with the film. I'm going to go and kill myself. <laughs> and that's where you work the skill of forgetting. Forget it. But I've always remembered. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You didn't even blink. You had that story ready. That is a not that is harsh. That was bad. But also maybe she was right. I should have done more. I should have really gone for it. But it's physically hard to remove your arms and legs in an audition. (laughs) She really wanted realism. She was like, pull them off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know given Films to be buried with, which is wonderful, by the way. Thanks, Jack. We always ask, what is one performance you think every actor should see and study and why? Like from any film or TV show. Do you have a, a favorite or recommendation? I've got loads. I'll tell you one from, from last year. Sometimes, I always get the title in the wrong order. Sometimes, rarely, never, always. Sometimes, always. Oh, sometimes, yes. always, never, rarely, I believe, is the right way around something like that yeah which is a credible film that i'd recommend everyone watches yes. and it's got these two performances from these actors in these two teenage girls go on this sort of road trip and they are doing i don't know how to describe it. it's like it feels completely like a documentary mm. except it's even better than a documentary because if it were a documentary they'd know they were being filmed mm. i don't know how they're doing what they're doing but it feels completely completely real and it's so understated, you can't... It's like they're doing nothing, but mm. they are doing everything. And it's really fascinating. And it and it is also in terms of, like, the power of letting... Remembering when you're acting that the camera, the story, the music, the lighting is doing a lot of the work. You don't have to be... Mm. All you have to do is your bit. And in a way, them kind of... The stillness of them mm. is so powerful. And you as an audience read so much into it. And I can't tell you exactly what they're doing, but it's like they're doing nothing. But yeah. it's the best performance you'll ever see. That's such a good answer. And it also reminds me of like, talk about buttoning up emotions. Because yeah, yeah. she basically has one scene towards the oh end that the emotions come out. It's brutal. You've seen it, right? It's so fucking oh, good. Yeah. Oh, unforgettable. Film of the year. Yeah, yeah. That's a really great example. And it really speaks to the bravery of, of yeah, simplicity on camera yeah yeah never rarely sometimes always is the title but yeah and and in terms of it's so fast because i know you think it 
I've thought it's like, did you get it? Sometimes I say to the director, did you get it? Because I'm always trying to keep it small. Ah. But sometimes it's so small you think, I don't know. I'll be like, did you get it? Did it happen? Right. Because <laughs> you want to know. <laughs> I, I heard a story about Denzel Washington when he made um, the remake of The Manchurian Candidate mm-hmm. with Jonathan Demme. And Jonathan Demme was really excited to be working with Denzel Washington. But, because Denzel Washington is amazing. I think he's my favorite film star. Mm. And But Denzel Washington said to John Demi, I'm going to do something different in this film. I'm not going to do my full charismatic thing. I'm going to play everything very, very small and understated. And Jonathan Demi was a bit like, oh. oh? <laughs> I, was, I sort of wanted you to be Denzel Washington. He said, no, I'm not doing that this time. And he said, huh. they shot a scene. I think it's on a train. And Jonathan Demi, I think, went over to This is the story, whether it's true or not. I, I read the story. John Demi went over to him and said, I'm slightly worried you're you're not giving me the Denzel watch, you're not you're not doing anything. And Denzel said, Watch that, watch that back. Look at my eyes. Uh, and John Demi watched back the take and he went, I'm so wrong, I apologize. That was amazing. And wow. Like, he's doing it all, it's just small. Yeah, scaling it. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Oh my gosh, Brett, thank you so much. This is also this is pure gold. Oh Jack, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, of course. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hello everyone, Christine McKenna-Torella here. This week I wanted to chat about the big equity news that broke, uh, which actually backstage had the exclusive for Deep Tran, um, had it on our site. We had the exclusive before anyone else. But if you missed it, here are the details. So the US equity has started a program called open access. Basically, instead of having to earn points to qualify to be in the union, if you can prove you have worked professionally, i.e. received a paycheck to be an actor on a stage, you can apply for your equity card right now. So you used to have to have EMC points up to 25 if it's the last few years, 50 if it was, you know, two years and beyond. But um, there's no minimum payment that an actor has to receive in order to qualify for this professional uh, threshold for this membership. And of course, this applies to stage managers too who can apply for equity. So the union will allow former members of equity to rejoin the union without having to secure a new equity contract. And if you're part of a sister union, you'll no longer have to wait the year to qualify to go into equity. You can apply immediately. This week, my inbox was full of questions uh, from actors who want to know more about the rule change and whether or not they should apply for equity now that it is open access. And my answer to everyone is, I can't answer that for you. And I know that doesn't feel very satisfying, but here's why. You have to look at your own resume and your own career and your own type as an actor and make an honest assessment about whether or not joining the union would be beneficial for you right now. There are lots of benefits to joining a union in general, right? There is power in collective bargaining. Equity members have a minimum salary according to each project, which protects you, the actor. Um, they've mandated days off and maximum hours you can you know, be in rehearsal. And if you, if you work, and if this is if you work, uh, you have to meet a threshold, but you have access to health insurance, pension, and 401k if you are a working actor. 
Here's the bad news. The initiation fee to join equity is $1,700. And although this can be paid over three years, I still think it's a lot of money for a program called Open Access. And, and members also have to pay annual fees every year of $174, which goes up uh, periodically. And you contribute 2.5% of any of your gross earnings from an equity contract. You no longer can take non-union work because similar to SAG-AFTRA rules, the rule one is you take union work only. I recommend that you investigate the union thoroughly before joining. Honestly, especially now that you can join, quote, anytime during this open access period, which ends, I think it's May 2023, there's no reason to rush to make this decision. It's not going to end next week. It's not a fire sale, right? Like there are some solid non-union national tours and contracts for great theaters that you might want to take that will no longer be available to you once you're equity. And I would wait to see if non-union producers counter this with better contracts for non-union actors. We have hundreds of casting calls for every type of actor in every region on the site, but I have two here that have caught my eye this week. There is a CVS commercial looking for a pair of actors that have a playing age of 60 to 75. They're seeing karaoke in the shoot. I think that sounds super fun. Shooting early August, they are seeking New York-based actors. It's paying $2,000 plus uh, additional for an agent or manager if you have it. There is also a recorded home nationwide casting for a financial services social campaign, casting a narrator for a series of English language financial services video and animation. You must have access to professional quality studio and at-home equipment to be considered for this one because, again, you are shooting completely by yourself remotely and sending in the material. Details for the changes in equity and, of course, all of the casting calls that we have available are online at Backstage.com, so check those out. That's all for me for now. Break a leg in your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.